Thank you for listening to The Actors Room. Please subscribe to the show in iTunes and leave comments and reviews. The show is also on Facebook, Twitter, Google Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. The website for the show is theactorsroom.libsyn.com. The site gives you access to all past episodes. Enjoy the show. at SNL uh, with you and with Chris Farley. Yeah, 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 of course. Was there, I was there when you, uh, I was writing there when you showed up and then Chris Farley showed up yeah. and you guys clicked right away. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that's, uh, in some, some people in show business are mm-hmm. not, the, people think they're the wild and crazy person who they are, who they're saying they are on, sure, on sure, TV, sure. but they're, they're not. Chris was all of that and you guys we're very funny together. We were just hanging out in the writing yeah. room at Sound Out Live. It's nice 91. to talk to you about yeah. that. Yeah, because you you saw it every day, and and uh, Chris loved you, of course. So it was that was a real heyday of great performers and writers. Like just mm-hmm. the writers were so good to write again. Yeah, they know. all the people that they wouldn't even maybe not know, but. Uh, I remember we shared a little office, and then uh, you know Sandler and Chris Rock had a little one next to us. They right. had to walk through ours, and. Chris was always bored, and I was trying to scribble away and write some crummy sketches. And, uh, you know, when he'd go, uh, David, turn around. And I go, Who would say this? Chris. Chris, yeah. And I go, If this is Fat Guy in a Little Coat, it's not funny anymore. I don't like it. (laughs) And he goes, No, it's not. I'm working on new stuff. And I go, And I turn around, he had my little Levi jacket on. He goes, Fat Guy in a Little Coat, don't you quit on it! <laughs> he ripped it every time. Did he? He would rip it. Yeah, right? he'd go. He and I go on You're your gonna jacket. rip it. And he goes, No. And then he goes, and I, He goes, It ripped. All I did was lean over. I go, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, every he's ripped so many coats, and that's why we put it in the movie because yeah. we didn't really have much to do in there. <laughs> and he goes, What if I just sing? Fat guy in a little coat here, and we're like, sure. I mean, it just—it was stuff in Tommy Boy that was funny to us that we just hoped was funny to people, and uh, it worked out. Thank worked God. Worked out great. The clown's prayer. As I stumble through this life, help me to create more laughter than tears, dispense more happiness than gloom, spread more cheer than despair. Never let me become so indifferent that I will fail to see. The wonders in the eyes of a child, or the twinkle in the eyes of the aged. Never let me forget that my total effort is to cheer people, make them happy, and forget momentarily all the unpleasantness in their lives. And in my final moment, may I hear you whisper, when you made my people smile, you made me smile. Chris Farley Here's a story told by a friend of Chris's during his college years. Quote, Freshman year of college, we're heading out on a road trip to Milwaukee to see the big game. We're in the car. We've got the fifth of vodka, the gallon of orange juice. We're ready to get loaded and party. And just as we start to drive, Chris says, stop. We stop the car and he pulls out a rosary. We have to sit there in the car and say one decade 
of the Rosary, ten Hail Marys, and an Our Father. And we have to say it before we leave. Then he balls the Rosary up in his hand, tosses it in the glove compartment, slams it shut, looks at all of us and says this, quote, unquote, well, it's in God's hands now. And we hit the road. End of the quote. Lorne Michaels, the creator and producer of the mega-hit late-night television show Saturday Night Live, said this about Chris Farley. Quote, People liked Chris Farley. They trusted Chris Farley. And they thought they knew Chris Farley. End of quote. It was fate that Farley ended up on Saturday Night Live. Friends of his he went to school with back in Wisconsin would predict that he would be on the show someday. There was no doubt about it, they said. Definitely. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Actors Room. My name is Jeff Tarowski, and this is episode number 20. I made it to 20, and I feel really good about it. I took the week off last week because it was Thanksgiving, and we did a lot around the house, and it just kind of gave me a mental break from the show. I've been working really hard on highlighting all of these actors and actresses and performers, things like that. I did one movie. I did The Godfather about 10 episodes ago. I think that was actually number 10. That's right. It was. Okay. Uh, And I only have done one movie so far. So looking ahead, I think I'm going to start diving into doing a few more movies. I don't really want to do a lot of movies. I'm going to concentrate mostly on performers, artists, so on. Mostly actors. Um, but I thought that it might be a good idea to dive a little bit more into movies in the upcoming episodes. Doing Chris Farley today, um, wanted to do something a little more fun. And I was watching, what was I watching? I was watching Dirty Jobs, Dirty Jobs, right? With Norm MacDonald on Thanksgiving last Thursday. And man, I forget just how funny Chris Farley is and and that's kind of weird to say for some reason because he's been gone for a while now it has been 20 years okay that's really strange 20th episode and he has been dead for 20 years he passed in 1997 okay there you go and I felt that there were a few actors that I had my mind on to do the 20th episode. I was thinking about doing um, Tom Cruise just because he's really popular and I find him very fascinating and I thought it would be really great to dive into Tom Cruise and going to do him pretty soon. And I was also considering a few other actors. And then Chris Farley came up and I thought, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. We're going to do Chris. So that's what I decided to do. I hope you enjoy the show. Here we go. All right. Chris Farley grew up in an Irish family. His father, Tom, was a successful man and ended up owning a company called Scotch Oil. Now, Tom was able to provide for his large family alongside his wife and Chris's mom, and her name is Mary Ann. Their first child's name was Barbara, born in 1960. Tom Jr. would be next a year later. Two years after that, on February 15, 1964, Marianne gave birth to her second son, Christopher Crosby Farley. Then came Kevin in 1965, and finally John in 1968. Big family. In 
Tom did so well that he decided to purchase a beautiful house in an upscale neighborhood. Chris grew up in a home with all that he needed and more. The family loved to host parties. The whole family seemed to be outgoing. And Chris's brother Kevin remembers that he seemed to make friends easily. And this is Chris. Chris made friends very easily. The kids would have to change schools often. And Chris would be seen with a new group of friends almost immediately. He could make people laugh, just like his dad. Chris was always the popular one. Just the kid who was fun to be around. Dad brought in the money. And Mom was the glue that held the family together. Chris's dad ran for public office and lost. But the family was instrumental in getting all the posters up. They did a nice job in supporting their dad. He was civic-minded and enjoyed being involved in making decisions. He had to be a part of it all, and it made him feel good. So his dad, I take it, was just one of those guys, one of those people. You know, they have to be involved in everything. He was just that outgoing guy. He loved to get his hands in everything, make decisions, that sort of thing. He loved to be noticed and really be involved in the community. Now, doing my research on Chris made me realize this simple fact. That here we are. The first artist I have highlighted, it's Christopher Farley, and he had a stable relationship with his father. No divorce, and dad is always around. He is a factor, and he helped shape the genius talent that is Chris Farley. Now, I found that Chris was much like his dad. His brother Tom says this about their dad, quote, Dad's voice was a sonic boom. All he'd say was, it's time to go to mass. Everybody in the car. And you would scramble like it was a DEFCON 4 siren from the Strategist Air Command. You didn't want to get on his bad side. He was lenient. But with four hyperactive boys, somebody's got to crap the whip sometimes. And when the whip cracked, it cracked hard. End of quote. Nice. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> um, a funny story and a glimpse into the relationship that Chris had with his father is good. And here it is. Now, I guess Chris walked into his classroom one day and asked the teacher a silly question. And this was the question. Where do I shit down? He said shit instead of sit. Well, the teacher flipped out. She lost it. She did not appreciate this coming from, I, I believe he was pretty young at this time. It says elementary school, so I don't know. Take a guess. I'm thinking maybe, what, fifth grade? Fourth, fifth grade? Well, the teacher wanted to have a little conference with his dad. So I guess uh, Mr. Farley came in. They all sat down in the uh, conference room or the classroom, whatever. And it was explained what happened. And uh, Chris adamantly stated that, no, I did not say that. And dad, you have to believe me. Mr. Farley said, you know, uh, teacher, I trust my son. I believe him. When he says he didn't do it, he didn't do it. End of story. So I guess the teacher finally gave in, said, I guess I misunderstood. Sorry, be on your way. So I guess on the ride home in the car, son, father and son, riding home, the dad, Mr. Farley, looked over at his son, Chris, and said, uh, you said it, didn't you? And Chris quietly Back? Yes, I did. I did say it, Dad. How did you know? He goes, well, I know my son. And they looked at each other, 
and broke out into laughter because it's just funny. And that's the kind of relationship they had. They understood each other. They liked to goof around, have fun. I think Mr. Farley felt, uh, and this is from a book I read uh, called The Chris Farley Show, written by his brother, Tom. Um, Mr. Farley believed that it was okay to crack jokes, have a good time, as long as nobody got physically hurt. <laughs> and from what I understand, too, is like these four boys, like I said earlier, they were really hyperactive. I mean, running around. They're also very competitive, so they play a lot of sports with each other. So they always were very competitive, wanting to win, that sort of thing. And they would get in fights, lots of fights. And behind their parents' backs, it was explained that they would... They would fight each other. I mean, they would hit each other in the face. And I guess Tom, Chris's brother, said it was all in good fun for the most part. And they never went as far as to making each other bleed. They would just be hitting each other hard enough. As long as they didn't bleed, it was just fair game. Okay, the uh, Farley family were devout Catholics and spent a lot of time with the church. Once again, being involved. Uh, they spent time together they went to the orchards to uh, the orchards to pick apples. Uh, they did church activities together. They were a family. Uh, they even had a dinner bell, I guess. Uh, dinner was at 6.30, and the bell would go off. It was really loud. So I guess the kids would be in the neighborhood, all spread out. Um, like I said, uh, Mr. Farley did very well. He made a very good living. So they lived in a big house. In one of those neighborhoods where, um, you know, big houses and lots of um, green grass, that sort of thing. So from what I understand, and this is, I can just picture it in my mind. It was probably one of those closed off communities. I don't know if they had a gate, like it was a gated community, but I think it was pretty close to that. And I, I guarantee you there were at least 20, 30, 40 houses in this gated community. And it was all just sort of like one big playground. So I guess this dinner bell, I think, was outside the back door. And when it was dinner time, 6.30, they rang the bell. And Chris would just dash home because it was just a wonderful thing. Dinner time, 6.30. I'm probably tired anyway. Let's go home. Let's eat. Now... The parents stressed that being a good person was the most important aspect of life. Grades in school were secondary. Learn how to be kind to one another, and that was the focus in the family. It wasn't nice to pick on other people. Chris had been raised Catholic, and the fear of God was instilled in him. Um, a, a nice little story that I want to bring up, too, is, uh, you know, the dad really didn't like if you picked on anyone. And I think there was a time where one of the boys made fun of the way a homeless person looked that was walking the street. And Mr. Farley was so upset by this. He turned the car around and made one of the boys get out and apologize to the bum for what he had said. Now that is setting a precedent. Did I say president? Precedent. Setting a precedent. <laughs> I think I said it wrong still. But you know what I mean. He's setting the right example. I guess Chris Farley, young Chris Farley, saw the exorcist as a small boy and it scared the living shit out of him. 
He felt that evil was indeed real and found it hard to fall asleep at night. His bed was right next to the closet and he shared a bedroom with one of his brothers. His eyes would constantly be darting back and forth at the closet doors and he would ask his brother if he could switch beds. He said, please, the devil is in the closet and he believed it. He also believed in hell and it scared him. Chris prayed to St. Michael every night, the angel that threw Satan out of heaven. Chris and his brothers had the full support of their parents in anything they wanted to do. One day, Chris made up his mind. He was going to play hockey. And bam, the next day, what was sitting in the garage? Brand new hockey gear. Chris was a free spirit. Making people laugh was the most important thing to him, by far. He was the fat kid, and humor was his weapon. This is how he fit in, and he made them laugh, and he was damn good at it. The Tic Tac story. Like I said, they went to church a lot. They were devout Catholics, and there was a trick that Chris played um, on everybody in church. He stuffed um, white Tic Tacs in his mouth, okay? And as he went up to get the Eucharist, he tripped over one of the pews, fake hit his head up against the pew, and spit out all the tacks. And if you can just imagine the sound of all these Tic Tacs hitting the ground. And they're white, right? And he's like, oh, my teeth. There you go. I guess uh, that was a big hit. And Chris got himself a nice little laugh from everybody in the congregation. Now, Chris and his brothers would end up going to Red Arrow Camp in the summer. And performed in camp plays. Um, and I'm not sure if it was just Chris that performed in the plays. Or if his brothers did as well. But it is uh, explained that Chris at this early age was starting to excel in the theater already. And Chris was just, he just seemed like a star. He displayed the trait of being able to connect with the audience. Uh, he was an engaging character. And even at the age of 10. He would do impressions of Elvis Presley and bring down the house. Chris was always performing. Even if he wasn't on stage. He saw the world as his stage. I believe this to be common among artists. Um, But some take it to the next level, sort of. And I think this was Chris. The truth was that Farley was a very sensitive person, but came off as a rough and gruff guy. One word of insult, they said, and Chris would be crushed. From what I found out in my research, uh, Chris would try to make everyone around him feel comfortable. I thought that uh, that was very important to him. One of his former classmates remarked how Chris came up to him at school one day. Now, this kid was new to the school, he said. Just moved from New York, and Chris was the very first person to talk to him, to approach him and say hello. He said, aren't you the kid from New York? And the kid said, yes. And then Chris introduced himself. He said, hi there. I'm Chris Farley. And this kid remembered that. Always remembered that, how he made him feel comfortable. And that he was the very first person to come up to him and make him feel at home in his new school. He simply was a nice guy. You would never know he came from money, they said. Because he didn't act like that. He was just a regular guy. He found his group of friends in school, and they would laugh all day, every day, together. 
Chris's favorite movies growing up were Animal House, Stripes, Caddyshack, Meatballs, History of the World, High Anxiety, and Blues Brothers. The Mooning Story is great. And this is weird, too, because there's great mooning stories about the Godfather and how they all mooned each other. Well, Chris has his own mooning story. High school. There's this teacher he had that said a stupid joke every day at the end of class. This dorky teacher telling dry jokes and they weren't funny at all. So the kids would just sit there and have to hear this joke or a joke every day and sort of just bite their lip and go, I hate this teacher. That sort, You know, that sort of teacher. So Chris decided to do something funny. He, uh, I guess when the teacher went up to write on the blackboard something, Chris crawled on his hands and knees real quietly around the teacher and got himself positioned behind the blackboard so he couldn't be seen. So when the teacher turned back to the classmates, his class, and started to tell his joke, Chris pulled down his pants, mooned everyone in the classroom, and the class lost it. Uh, they couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was hilarious. And the teacher's like, wow, I didn't think my joke was that funny today. They never are. But anyways, they found out that Chris was pulling his pants down, mooning everybody, showing his ass. He got in trouble. Once again, another conference happened. This time they brought both parents in, the mom and the dad, explained what had happened. Uh, they even gave it a funny name, like, uh, what did they say? I forget what was the, the term. I think they said he hung a moon or something like that. And that simple statement, because like, you know, this like really uh, top notch you know, head guy of the school, like the president of the school or maybe the vice president of the school, like the muscle uh, came in, you know, all stern and said, uh, we have a situation. Uh, your son, Chris, uh, hung a moon today in class. And I guess the mom, Chris's mom just lost it. She couldn't, she just couldn't hold it back. It was that funny. The whole situation, the whole story was just, it, it was wrong. And they all knew it was wrong. But it was funny stuff. Chris could do that. He could make any situation a good time. And I think that's what made him appeal to everyone around him. Was the fact that he was such fun to be around. When Chris was in the room, I guarantee you, you were having a good time. And even getting into trouble, like his parents kind of laughed it off. And I guess what happened with this situation was they just completely... They really did sweep it under the rug. I, it was so funny that they decided to just be like, all right, just get, get out of here. Make sure he doesn't moon anybody anymore. Oh, okay, fine. Chris Farley just could not help himself. But when he was sorry, he was genuinely sorry. Farley wasn't gung-ho just yet about the theater and performing on the stage. He was always asked by teachers to be in productions because of his charisma. And he had nothing to do with it. He said, that's for pussies. But I think it was Chris's natural reaction to make himself look cool. Uh, he was into sports and he hung around the jocks. And it wasn't cool to be in the theater. He was a solid, good football player. He hit hard and he loved the game. Chris was all hustle and gave 100% of himself to the game of football. As big as Chris was, he wasn't afraid of exposing his body. Friends on the football team remembered him being naked a lot. I think, I think um, I'm pretty sure they mean in the locker room. I, I hope that's what they meant. 
I guess the freshmen and sophomores were very self-conscious about showering with the older guys. And uh, Chris was a senior at this time. And he was comfortable walking around butt naked in front of everyone in the locker room. And I guess what he would do is he would go up to the freshmen and sophomores, curl his finger and say things like, want some candy? I could I can hear him saying that too. Want some candy? <laughs> Woo! Always fucking with people. Um, and here's an interesting story and how far Chris would go to get a laugh. A classmate gave him a dare. And this was the dare. Pull down your pants and show your penis to the girl sitting next to you in typing class. And would you believe it? He did it. He actually exposed himself to the girl and she was extremely upset. Uh, No shit. Uh, It is rumored that she needed to see a therapist to deal with the experience. How about that? And Chris Farley was expelled from high school. That's incredible. I didn't know that when I did the research. And I thought that was pretty interesting to put in here. And there's also another incident down the road I'm going to talk about that's even worse. Um, But this is incredible. Goes to show that Farley was displaying this simple fact. The guy had no boundaries. All was fair game and would do nearly anything to please others. Kind of scary. He reminds me of my good friend Bob Marar that I went to high school with. A little bit of grade school with. and Definitely middle school. Uh, we became pretty good friends. Uh, I want to say 10th grade. We started hanging out each other a lot. And I consider him one of the funniest people I've ever known. Bob Marar was just naturally funny. He reminded me a little bit of Chris Farley. Uh, same, same mannerisms, voice, that sort of thing. Same type of humor. And also the way he felt about things like no boundaries. Bob was the same way. He wasn't afraid of anything. He could pull any prank, do anything. Being around him was a little dangerous at times, too, because he had no boundaries. So I found myself sort of, you know, being a little scared of some of the things that Bob would do. Uh, We haven't talked in a few years. Uh, He went out to California to try to do the uh, acting thing, and I'm not sure how he's doing with that. Um, But uh, he went to an audition with me way back in the day when I was doing commercials and things like that. And I had brought him with me to an audition just to tag along. And uh, this is what happened. I go in, I audition, I come back out. They see Bob. They say, hey, do you want to try out for this commercial? He's like, oh, okay. I don't have an agent or anything. And they're like, yeah, that's okay. He got the commercial. Can you fucking believe that? I mean, I was like, what? He called me up a week later. He goes, dude, you won't, you won't believe what, I, what just happened to me. I said, what? Because I got that commercial. I said, you're fucking kidding. You're a fucking asshole. You didn't get that commercial. He's like, yeah, I did. And from then on, man, he was hooked. <clears throat> I don't know if he got an agent or not. I'm sure he did. I think he got an agent after that. And he started doing commercials and auditioning. And and that's really funny, too. Because it wasn't that long afterwards. So I went to New York to study acting. And then he went out to California around the same time. And we kept in touch for a while. And uh, then we got to talking again a few years ago and couldn't, lost touch just recently. But he reminds me a lot of Chris Farley. Just the humor. You ask anybody about Bob Marar, okay, and they will tell you he is funny. And Chris was the same way. That no boundaries part is significant because it allows you to open up to anything. And 
to do almost anything to make people laugh. Now, Chris ultimately attended Marquette University. Now, there's a prank he pulled in college that got out of control. There was this little white house down the street that some girls lived in, and Chris thought it would be a good idea to use his smoke bomb. He lit it and threw it into their house. Now, what Chris didn't know is that when you light one of those bombs and throw it somewhere, okay, it spins out of control. Well, this bomb spun out of control and onto their couch. It caught fire, and soon enough, the first floor was completely on fire and spreading. Chris freaked out and ran with a buddy across the state lines. He eventually turned himself in a few weeks later and was put on probation and ended up graduating one semester later than he should have. Uh, Chris also studied theater and communications. He fell in love with comedy in college and could see himself doing it for a living. He knew that he was funny enough. Post-graduation, Farley performed in the ARC Improv Theater Group and the Improv Olympic Theater in Chicago. There, he was mentored by Del Close, who also taught John Belushi, the famed comedian whom Farley looked up to, and mirrored in many ways. He really dove into the art of improv. He performed at comedy clubs in Chicago and then joined the Second City Touring Company and was promoted to the main stage in the year 1989. He starred in three reviews called The Gods Must Be Lazy, It Was 30 Years Ago Today, and Flag Smoking Permitted in Lobby Only. Now, it was here that he acted with Tim Meadows, who eventually would be in Saturday Night Live with him, Joel Murray, and Bob Odenkirk, who, of course, is famous now for his Better Call Saul. He's Saul Goodman, one of my favorite shows. Bob is very talented. And the character known as the motivational speaker first spawned from his performances with Second City. Farley's growing popularity got him noticed by Lorne Michaels, the creator of Saturday Night Live, and you know what? The rest is history. You bastard! Well, maybe I'm not the norm. I'm not camera friendly. I don't wear clothes that fit me. Frighten children and don't eat their own dandruff. I'm not hygienic. I don't wipe properly. I lack style. I have no charisma or self-esteem. I don't own a toothbrush or let my scabs heal. I can't reach all the parts of my body. That guy was so fucking funny. You can't deny it. Nobody could deny it. I don't think anybody could say, ah, that guy's not funny. I've heard people say they're not big fans of Will Ferrell or, you know, other comedians. You go, or Jim Carrey. I'm just not a fan of Jim Carrey. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say they're not a fan of Chris Farley. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Everybody saw that, that comedy and liked it in a way. Right? They just did. Chris Farley had that something about him that everybody liked him. And they appreciated how funny he really was. 
and I believe the motivational speaker that he had invented in Second City was his funniest creation. Uh, you know, living in a van down by the river. I mean, good stuff, man. I mean, that character was so funny. Uh, he had this ridiculously tight outfit on, like the sports jacket was too tight, and these tight clothes showing off his, you know, fatness and whatnot. And he didn't care about that. I don't think he did. I think that he realized that, I mean, that was just him. That was the way he looked. And he was always, you know, a chubby kid, uh, uh, you know, a chubby guy. And that was a part of him. He accepted that. And he made it work for him. Um, even though being overweight may be unhealthy for you. I get it. You know, what, what the hell? You know, we, we have what we have, right? Uh, you know, I'm a very thin guy. I'm very thin. I was picked on my whole life because I was so thin. And, you know, some people realize that, uh, you know, you are who you are. You know, and I struggle with the fact that I was so thin. And being a guy, it's, it's different. Okay, women, you know, being thin, it's a good thing, right? Oh, she's so thin. But for a guy, they say you're thin, and it's it's like you're being, you know, it's an insult. I'm going to say it as simple as that. It's it's an insult. It's uh, being called puny, being called weak, being called small. And no man wants to be called those things. So I get it. And now I pretty much came to the simple conclusion. I tried gaining weight. Believe me, I tried. I tried the shakes, uh, all that stuff. Uh, what I, I just can't gain weight. I can't. And actually, like if I eat too much, I get sick. I, I physically don't feel well. Like my body can't handle a lot of food. You know, you know, those people out there going, well, you know, how horrible that must be for you. But, you know, I've had my fair share of having people insult me because of the way I look. Uh, although people would be like, well, you're thin, you know, that's, you know, you're not insulted. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's weird, but it's true. Um, but anyways, you know, Chris probably felt that, you know, it was a part of him and he accepted it and he made it work and it made it work in his comedy. I also love the character of El Nino where he's standing there. And he's got that like hurricane going on behind him. And El Nino. You should see some clips about that. If you've never seen old Saturday Night Live clips of Chris Farley, there's a lot of good ones. I think there's a website you can go to and they have some of the best Chris Farley clips from his Saturday Night Live performances on this site. Um, I may look that up and give that to you later on just to give you a specific address to look up if you're interested in taking a look at it. Um, um, I want to talk about the time I met Chris Farley. I met him in 1993 when I was 16 years old. Now here's a story. My family and I, we are huge or were, not anymore. We were huge Saturday Night Live fans. When I say huge, I mean big. Uh, early 90s to the late 90s. We didn't miss a Saturday Night Live. We just didn't. And we even stayed up. We taped them. We cut out all the commercials, so on and so forth. It was our favorite show to watch. And we really looked forward to Saturday nights. Well, anyways, we were also big fans of New York City. We would go to New York every so often. The family, we would hop in. My dad had this conversion van. It was very comfortable for us. We would, as soon as... My brother and I got off of school on a Friday. We would get off of school like around 3, 3.30. Um, I mean, we put our book bags down and we got in the van and we took off to New York. We would stay in uh, Pennsylvania and called Danville, Pennsylvania. We would stay there uh, for the night and then early the next morning head out for New York City. We would spend the weekend there. We'd see Broadway shows, uh, the sights, uh, whatever. You know, New York offers a lot. And growing up, 
I experienced all that New York had to offer, and I fell in love with that city. Well, the, one of the times we went out there, we had the opportunity to see Saturday Night Live, uh, the rehearsal section. So what you had to do was, if you wanted tickets, you had to stay up all night long on Friday night. Um, Friday night, yes. That, that sounds that doesn't sound right, but I think that is. Because the one time we went out there, I think someone suggested that we try it, and we said, well, we'll have to give that a shot. So that's what we did. You stay up all Friday night to get tickets to stand in line uh, for the tickets to come out on Saturday morning. So what we did was, I think we stood in line from about 5 p.m. till 5 a.m. in NBC Studios. Marble floors, so we brought in blankets and pillows and whatnot. I don't think we slept that much. Maybe an hour, if that. But the best part of this is that you had the opportunity to meet the actors coming out of rehearsal that night. So around midnight, they would come trickling out one by one around midnight. And you get we got to meet all these guys. And we're talking about the mid-90s. I'm talking about Adam Sandler. I'm talking about Phil Hartman, Julia Sweeney, uh, Dana Carvey, Mike Myers, Chris Rock, uh, David Spade was hilarious. By the way. David Spade, this story. Okay, David Spade was not known at this time. Okay, a very uh, small bit player in uh, Saturday Night Live at this time. And you know, you got Chris Rock coming out, you got Dana Carvey coming out, and everyone's just like, oh, getting excited, taking pictures, getting autographs, all that stuff. And David Spade is just like standing off on the side, like just standing there. I noticed him too. Like he, everybody's paying attention to all the big stars. And he's just standing there waiting for somebody to come up to him. It was so adorable. So I went up to him and I said, you know, can I have your autograph? He's like, oh yeah, sure. So I thought that was a cute little story about a young David Spade kind of, you know, hey everybody, uh, anybody want my autograph over here? And uh, we did. We got his autograph as well. And then Chris Farley came out and oh my God, I'm nervous. <laughs> he comes walking performing of course and he comes rolling out he's like hello everybody and he starts falling over there was this railing okay like separating like the elevators that you walk off on uh, into the lobby area where we were at waiting for them to come out well there's this little railing that separated them a bit and this little passageway between the railings and he's just fumbling around with the railing because he's falling over it tripping over it falling into the ground i mean just given a scene even then you know doing my research finding out that you know people say oh he was always performing and oh if you only knew the true chris and blah 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 you know and you're reading this stuff going oh yeah whatever you know sure he's always performing no he was i swear to god i witnessed it myself on a saturday night in i don't know october 1993 right 1993 he was doing this shit falling over it was giving us a good time we had a blast i gotta tell you some of the greatest times in my life were waiting on those friday nights for tickets to see the rehearsal of saturday night live we also saw chevy chase uh dan Aykroyd came out what a great guy he came out and he gave pictures with everybody we're all standing around like a group photo of dan Aykroyd. really great guy i mean all these guys are great Chevy Chase was great. You know, he's got a reputation that he's standoffish. I I didn't think so. He came up and he had a smile on his face. He was very uh, appreciative 
of people wanting to say hello and uh, thank you for giving me your autograph and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know. I think that some of these stars get a bad rap. I really do. Uh, it doesn't explain who they really are. You know, some stars maybe just sick and tired of having people come up to them all the time. Although it sounds nice to be famous and have people really appreciate you and look up to you, I think you reach a certain point where you're like, you know what? Just leave me alone. There are times I just want to walk to the bathroom without having somebody come up to me and want something from me. Uh, and I guess that's the price you have to pay. But it was really fun meeting all those guys. And Chris Farley was definitely one that stuck out for me. And it was truly a pleasure to meet that wonderful man. Here are two guys who have made the leap from Saturday Night Live to Monday Night Live here at the Oscars. Please welcome the very funny David Spade and Chris Farley. <laughs> I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. We're actually here at the Academy Awards. Yeah, right, the Academy Awards. The primo event of the year, seen by... Uh, over a billion people in over 100 countries around the globe. Wow, that's more than the Frog Network on a good Wednesday. <laughs> right, Dave. I see, Dave, I see a lot of confused people out there. <laughs> we don't belong here. <laughs> what are we doing here? Maybe there was some sort of mix-up, and right now Jeremy Irons is performing at the Improv, and Daniel Day-Lewis is at a fat camp in Hilton Head. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, while we're here, let's announce the nominations for live-action short film. Read the nominations. Check. Dave, by the way, uh, we got a telegram backstage from David Cassidy. He'd like his hairstyle back. Well, <laughs> hey, I just saw the monitor. I'll take that one. All right. Well, let's read the nominations. The first time we see Chris on the screen is in Wayne's World. Now, this movie I consider to be revolutionary. And the reason why I say that is because it was the very first big film for a Saturday Night Live skit like Wayne's World to be very successful. And it'll start with Wayne's World and then sort of branch out, and you're going to see just a roll. They're going to be on a roll Saturday Night Live with pumping out uh, skits that were in Saturday Night Live into movies. And this was the first big one. Big deal. Bohemian Rhapsody scene is fantastic. And they played the hell out of that song that uh, summer, that, that year, that whole year. When that movie came out, I just got sick of that song. I can't even listen to that song now. And I loved that song back then. Loved it. I bought the single and I'd play it over and over and over again. Too much, I think. But it really was um, one of those movies where you could sit down and watch it over and over again. And I still enjoy watching it to this day. And if you remember, Chris Farley had a very short scene. It's a cameo scene where he plays a security guard at the Alice Cooper concert. And Mike Myers asked him a question and then... Chris's character kind of gives him a long explanation uh, about where he's going to be, where he was, and all that stuff. And then Mike Myers walks away and says, that's a, quite a bit of information that the uh, security guard knew. And they kind of look at each other like, hmm. So that was Chris Farley's first film role. He would also be in the second Wayne's World as well. Different character, though. 
and he plays uh, somebody that wants to help out with the concert. And a good scene in that movie is when they're practicing picking up the microphone. And then Chris Farley's character just tries to go out there and pick up the microphone. And they're going ahead and they're throwing tennis balls at them to sort of, you know, reenact what can happen during a concert, them getting stuff thrown at them. And Chris Farley's character just can't do it. He can't even get to the microphone. He's dodging all these balls. And then Mike Myers starts to yell at him, you know, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. And then Chris Farley gives that, you know, I don't, I I have, don't have, oh God, I can't talk today. But anyways, he says, I don't have anywhere else to go. It's a cute little scene. And I really liked Wayne's World too. As a sequel, I thought it did very well. And they had a lot of great extra characters in there they didn't have in the first movie. And I really do believe it's hard to, wow, it's really hard to go from Wayne's World and how successful that film is. When you think about how successful that film was, I would almost be afraid to make a sequel to that movie because it was so successful that you know that the second one is not going to be as good. It's just the odds are not in your favor. But I believe that Wayne's World 2 is very good. Not as good as the first one, but still entertaining to watch. Now, in between the Wayne's World movies, he had a nice role in Coneheads. And I really like this one as well. Whenever it's on, I watch it. And I'm not kidding. Another Saturday Night Live skit brought to the big screen, like I mentioned before. It's a brilliant idea for characters. And aliens such as the Coneheads, it just works. And Farley plays a mechanic called Ronnie, and he falls in love with Connie, who is the, um, the daughter of the Coneheads, the mom and dad. Well, the daughter's name is Connie, and Ronnie falls in love with her. And I don't know. When they are sitting there at the end of the movie, and they got those, uh, those uh, ring sensors, I think they call them, where it's sort of like that's how Coneheads you know, have sex. So he, this... Um, Connie character has Chris Farley's character sitting down with her and they got the rings on their heads and then the parents come walking in and you know I mean Chris Farley's character is just all sweaty and red and you could tell he's having a good time and they come walking in and you know what you know ring sensors and it's just a cute little scene and there's another scene there that he does a good job is when Dan Aykroyd, one of the Coneheads, comes in to get his car looked at, and he's not happy with the uh, the time restrictions of when the car is going to be done. Well, Chris Farley is the mechanic, or someone that works at the auto shop, and he's he's pretty much putting Dan Aykroyd in his place, and he does. It is a very good scene, a little glimpse into something a little different by Chris Farley here, and and something to note. Just to take a look at that performance and see a little something extra, except being like the, the, the comic relief sort of guy. I think that once in a while in his performances, uh, in the beginning, although they were small, small characters, you still saw something at Chris where you see glimpses of greatness for something else down the road. Okay, then came his next film in 1994 called Airheads. Um, okay movie. Uh, not my bag. I don't know what it is about this one. I'm not a big Brendan Fraser fan, so maybe that's why. He just doesn't do it for me at all. I never saw the big hoopla about Brendan Fraser. Never. I think he's probably one of the worst actors I've ever seen. He's that bad. That's just my opinion. There could be a lot of friend, uh, 
Brendan Fraser fans out there. God bless you. Not one of them. But anyways, now, Chris Farley's character, okay, the best part of the movie, in my opinion. And although he isn't on the screen very much, he still is the best thing about it. Uh, He plays a cop, and uh, he's heckled by a guy that has a nipple ring. And the guy dares him to do something to him. And uh, after that, Chris Farley rips off his nipple ring. And uh, that was pretty... (laughs) Can you imagine getting a nipple ring ripped off? That would hurt a lot. Get on the bus here. Move it. Get up there. Kyle, one, two, five, seven. Move it or lose it. Get on the bus. Hi, Miss Vaughn. Nice to see you. That Veronica Vaughn is one piece of ace. I know from experience, dude. You know what I mean? No, you don't. Well, not me personally, but a guy I know. Him and her got it on. Woo-wee! <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't. No, 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 they didn't. But you can imagine what it'd be like if they did, right? Huh? Huh? <laughs> Everybody on? Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. No yelling on the bus! I guess most of this role played by Farley was improvised, and that's no surprise to me. Billy Madison is one of the funniest movies ever made by Sandler and his gang. Chris Farley's face when he gets hit in the back of the head with a sandwich on the bus, now that's funny shit. He turns red with hurt and anger. That is him really turning red. I'll turn this bus around, he says. I'll and this precious little field trip and all that stuff. I mean, that's really him. And he improvised all that stuff. That's all Chris Farley. Um, I would just let him go. If I was directing that guy, I would just be like, listen, here's a script. Take a look at it. Get the basic idea. And then do what you will. Because he is just naturally funny with what he says, how he says it. I wouldn't give him any restrictions at all. Or wouldn't have given him any restrictions. I think that he would have been one of those performers if he would have lived on that would have given us some interesting performances outside the box and there's also a scene in the movie of uh, Billy Madison where he ends up stealing uh, the kids lunches and he's all sitting around with like Norm MacDonald and someone else and they're all eating their sandwiches Um, and you know what else uh, he steals in this movie scenes and he does there's no doubt about it Chris Farley can steal a scene with the best of them Now, rumor has it that Mike Myers would give Farley small roles in his films because he was afraid of Farley stealing his thunder. And I can see that. And that's a smart move by Myers. Then came the movie that made Chris Farley a household name, Tommy Boy. I saw this in the theater when it came out like most of the world, and I fell in love with it right away. They based the story in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, which is very close to where I live. Uh, The film was shot in Toronto, but they used an Ohio City for the film, which I thought was kind of strange. If you're going to do a film called Cuyahoga Falls, maybe you should do the movie in Cuyahoga Falls. But, hey, that's just my opinion. Who knows how they do these things. It doesn't make any sense to me. But um, I was impressed with the acting done by Farley. Uh, He is, of course, hilarious, right? But take notice of the scene at the end of the film 
when he's on the boat alone, he has a conversation with his dead father, and it's very, very good. He appears to get choked up in that scene. And I think there was much more that Farley had to offer us than the guy who made us laugh. And that scene is a good example of just that. What my associate is trying to say is that uh, our new brake pads are really cool. You're not even going to believe it. Like, um, let's say you're driving along the road with your family, and you're driving along, la 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 woo. And then all of a sudden, there's a truck tire in the middle of the road, and you hit the brakes. Whoa, that was close. <laughs> now let's see what happens when you're driving with the other guy's brake pads. You're driving along, you're driving along, and all of a sudden, the kids are yelling from the back seat, I gotta go to the bathroom, Daddy. Not now, damn it. Truck tire. I can't stop! Ah, ah, help! There's a cliff! Ah, and your family's screaming, Oh my God, we're burning alive! No, I can't feel my legs! Here comes a meat wagon! And the medic gets out and says, Oh my God! New guy's in the corner puking his guts out! <laughs> All because you want to save a couple extra pennies. And <laughs> to me, it doesn't get out. Now. Do you validate? Now. Okay, thank you. Here's a little tidbit about Tommy Boy. I guess Chris and David Spade didn't always get along. David Spade and Rob Lowe went for a beer one night without inviting Chris. Now. Let's just say that Farley was, uh, he was a bit jealous and kept asking David Spade the next day, how's Rob Lowe? Hey, Dave, how's Rob doing? David, how's Rob Lowe? I guess this went on all day. And Chris Spade was losing his mind. Liz, he was just getting frustrated and pissed that Chris was just not letting it go. So David Spade got so pissed at Farley, that he threw a can of soda at him. What did Farley do in response? He picked Dave up, threw him up against the wall. He wasn't done. He picked him up again and then threw him down a flight of stairs. <laughs> wow. Little, little guy. You know, he's just throwing him around. He was pissed that David Spade didn't let him tag along and, and kind of hang out with Rob Lowe. And it hurt him. I, I don't think he liked to be left out. And I think that he was really hurt by David Spade. And that was the way he showed it. Whatever the tension between Spade and Farley was, it doesn't matter. Because the two of them worked brilliant together. And they would collaborate in Farley's next big hit. Well, not really a big hit. I'm sorry. I take that back. It might have done okay at the box office. Right. But Black Sheep was a catastrophe. I thought. When I saw it. I saw... All his films in the theater. And this was, again, I saw it in the theater and I didn't like it. That was the first one I watched and I was like, ugh, wow, you know, something happened here. And I think it was the writing. And when I did my research, that's exactly what happened. Now, Chris Farley, uh, he didn't want to do it at first and he was sort of talked into it. And um, it shows that, you know, he just really didn't give 100% to this one. Because he didn't have a good feeling about it. And then even Lorne Michaels has said 
that this project was rushed because they wanted to capitalize on the success of Tommy Boy and felt they were running out of time and wanted to really ride those coattails. So there you go. Uh, The movie was kind of thrown together at the last minute, and the script, I guess, was also just thrown together at the last minute. And it really does show in the final product. I just didn't care for it at all. Beverly Hills Ninja, 1997. Oh, boy. This one, not for everybody. But what I got to say is, it made me laugh. Okay, it's not the best movie, but it's better than Black Sheep. Uh, It's a fun film to watch. It's it's silly. It's a silly movie. And uh, Chris Farley made me laugh, like he always does. Uh, I guess this is interesting. Christian Bale has stated on many occasions that this is his favorite film. Christian Bale loves this movie. Beverly Hills Ninja. Maybe deep down, Christian Bale wants to be a Beverly Hills Ninja. I I bet you that's what it is. But Farley, he didn't feel the same way. He didn't want to be a Beverly Hills Ninja. When the first screening was shown, Chris was so disappointed and upset that he cried on the shoulder of producer Bernie Burlstein. He pledged never to make a movie like this again. And I can see his point on this. I really do. You know, he wanted to show his audience that he was more than a slapstick moron. Really. And I believe he wanted to branch out and show us another side. I really do. Now, like I mentioned earlier, he showed us that in Tommy Boy. Those moments. Hey, Mitch! Jimmy, your new nose looks great. Thanks. Best $200 I ever spent. (laughs) Hey, uh, Jimmy, that girl you're with, she's not the, uh... Yep. Lynn Young, the Saigon whore who bit my nose off. (laughs) We're getting hitched. Oh. Jimmy, let's go. Hold on, I'm talking to my friend here. Jeez, sometimes you gotta remind the hen who the rooster is. (laughs) Well, good luck to you, Jimmy. Okay, Mitch, see you around. Blah, 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 blah. When I say let's go, you go! Yeah? Time you shut your cake hole, Yoko! Women. Listen, don't ever talk back to me like that in front of my friends. You're making me really, really angry! Oh, that scares me! That scares me to death! Look! Oh! You bit my new nose off! Blah, blah, blah. I love that part when he's like, blah, blah, blah. He's fucking good in that character that he plays you just those characters i think although they are out there maybe for most people he identified with guys like that um why i don't know but he seemed to really grasp that character uh the one that gets his nose bit off and um i did watch and i i want to correct myself i i said that uh, that movie was Dirty Jobs. It's not. It's Dirty Work with Norm McDonald. And I watched it on Thanksgiving. And that's why I, when I watched that movie, I, I realized that I wanted to do Chris Farley this week because I remembered how much he made me laugh and how just seeing him on screen, he puts a smile on my face. Right? He's one of those guys, 
he's so warm inside. You could feel his warmth. And, you know, it comes through and he has, he's very engaging. And I said, it would just be marvelous to learn more about Chris Farley. And so watching Dirty Work, is that right? Yeah, Dirty Work this Thanksgiving, it was a clincher for me to do this Chris Farley episode. And uh, I really also believe that Norm MacDonald, this is his best movie. And um, Farley plays a guy named Jimmy. He lives at the YMCA and has a roommate called Old Jack. Now, Norm MacDonald's character is hard up and needs a place to stay. And he's sitting at the bar with Jimmy, Chris's character, and he asks him for a favor. Things are going to get better. You just hang in there, Mitch. Thanks for listening, Jack. Say, listen, pal. You ever need anything? I mean anything at all. You come to me. Can I stay at your place tonight? Well, see, the thing is this. I, uh, I live over at the Y, as you know. Um, I got a roommate, old Jack, who is a little particular when it comes to strangers. Oh, yeah. Well, no problem, Jimmy. Thanks. He just got his knee drained last week. Uh, that's all right. I'll find another place. Well, he needed it, too. That thing was getting a little bit right. <laughs> I get the picture. Maybe I'll just leave my car. <laughs> old Jack's an odd duck, I tell you. Um, many times I catch him staring at me sleeping, which is off-putting. Yeah, I guess it would be, yeah. His feet bleed. I don't want to stay at your place! Point taken. Point taken, Mitch. The movie Dirty Work was supposed to be R-rated, but ultimately it was PG-13, because the studios wanted it to reach a broader audience. And this, of course, was Farley's last film. The rise to fame was not easy for Chris Farley. He was successful and indeed was on his way but his battle with drugs and alcohol was always there. High school and college provided Chris with good times, and alcohol was a big part of that. Chris remembers taking his first drink and how it made him feel so good. How can anyone walk around sober, he thought. But the alcohol eventually led to cocaine and heroin. Family and friends would have interventions, and Chris even tried a few recovery centers. Now, what I'm going to include in this episode of Chris Farley, I found in a book written by his brother, Tom, Tom Farley. And it's a great book. You get a lot of really nice insight on his childhood, which I love. And I've mentioned many times in this podcast that the childhoods of all these artists mean a lot to me by finding out who they are and how they grew up and learning about them, the real them. So I want to go ahead and put this in here. This is a quote. Well, it's not a quote. It's a speech. And I'm not going to um, quote the whole speech. I'm just going to quote certain things that really stuck out to me because it's a really long speech. This is directly from Chris during one of his rehab stints. When he was doing very well in his rehab, he stood up in front of a group of people, a large auditorium in a rehab facility and gave this speech to other recovering addicts. So here it goes. Quote, I remember my first drink. I was 17, and my friend Patrick was a year above me, and I admired him very much. 
I went to a party with him one night. The guy started drinking and they said, come on, Chris, take a drink. So I took a shot and I remember going, man, this sucks. I can't believe you actually do this. They told me to take it like it was medicine. And I did. I wolfed down about 10 of them. And I heard them say that I was really wild. And I was a wild man. And I was fitting in and it felt great. Everyone seemed to like that. Even the girls were like, great, Chris, finally, you're loosening up. You're having a good time. And I was like, hey, maybe I'll even get a chick now. So I got blind drunk every weekend until I graduated high school. Then college came and I partied every night. Each year got worse and worse. Every drug I tried, I couldn't wait to try more. I fell in love with marijuana. I couldn't understand why everyone wasn't getting high. Now he couldn't understand why everyone wasn't getting high. I just wanted to escape, he said. I read the John Belushi book Wired and everyone was saying how they felt sorry for John, but not me. I was like, yeah, if that's what it takes, I want to do that. I got out of school and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was scared. Drinking was the only thing I had. I worked for my dad part time and showed up late and was the big screw up. I knew that acting was for me. So I moved to Chicago and got into Second City. But I could not stop partying. It affected my work and I was warned to stop. So I only got high while performing. I would drink a pint of Bacardi in about 10 minutes. I got blind drunk every night. Then my dream came true, Saturday Night Live. I read how my idols would show up and got ripped all the time. And I thought this is going to be perfect. That wasn't the case at all. I stuck out like a sore thumb. I took my clothes off at parties. I would do anything for you. I wanted you to like me. As long as I had my substance and your affection, I was okay. I visited Second City and got on stage after consuming a bunch of acid, cocaine, and a ton of liquor. And they booed me. I blacked out between scenes. I entered rehab and it did no good. I didn't commit myself. So I was doing a lot of drugs again. I tried to hide it, but I fooled no one. That Christmas, I was on a bender. I had ripped out my apartment. Drawers were ripped apart. Everything was on the floor. I was put into detox. But I went back to drugs once again. I was crying all the time. Drugs and alcohol were my only friends. I wasn't listening to those around me. I was sober for 90 days. And then Saturday Night Live didn't write me into the show. And then I used again. I did five bags of heroin. Went into rehab again. The 90-day mark of this sobriety stint landed on St. Patrick's Day. I wanted a nice cold Guinness. I'm Irish. I paced outside a bar and I cried. Then I realized that I didn't need the drink. I called and went to a meeting and I did what I had to do. I know I can do this. We can all do it. And that's the end of the quote. And I just want to say, 
I don't know what pushed Chris to go over the edge again, but he was seen around town and at events looking sloppy and acting completely out of it the weeks before his death. He went on a four-day drinking and drug binge. Some feel that it was his anxiety and self-loathing that did him in. In the end, he had a mammoth appetite for food, booze, and drugs. He was in and out of rehab 17 times. So you know that he wanted to break free. He just couldn't do it. He just he couldn't stop. And Chris was taken away from us on December 18th 1997. He was found dead with a rosary clutched in his hand. Such a great soul. Such promise. Such talent. So sensitive. And a great deal of feeling inside him. He was so full of love. Maybe it was just too much for him to take. And sometimes that could, that could be us as well. We will miss you, Chris Farley, forever. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Chris Farley. One of the funniest human beings to ever walk on this planet, in my opinion. That's just how I feel about it. And I felt that doing a Chris Farley episode to be very important. I hope you learned a little bit about Chris, a little bit about what made him who he was, and his tremendous talent that really did bring joy to a lot of people and still does to this very day. So thank you, Chris Farley. And thank you, everyone, for listening to The Actors Room. Once again, my name is Jeff Tarowski. Uh, continue to go ahead and support this show. It really needs it. Um, I did skip last week, so my numbers have plummeted drastically. Hoping to get them back up again. So please show your support. Tell a friend. Uh, get get the show out there if you can. Anything to help me would be great. Also, it's been brought to my attention that during the course of this uh, iPhone update, it has really affected the podcast app. Now, I have not seen any of this from my end, but I guess other people have been affected by the update. And there are other parts of my phone that have not been doing well since the update. Like, my charging is horrible. And, like, there's something wrong with my, um, when I get messages you know, like text messages. There's something not right with my phone ever since I got the update. It's almost like they put little bugs in there on purpose. That way you have to buy their new expensive phone, right? They're geniuses, aren't they? Boy, oh boy. Well, anyways, uh, thank you once again. I hope you had a great day today. Um, enjoy your holiday season. We're right in the middle of it. Try not to be too stressed out, you know, with family stuff and work. You know, the the year's winding down, so go ahead, put up your feet tonight, please, for me. Put your feet up tonight on the coffee table, pour yourself a nice drink, you know, do that, relax, and then put in a movie, one that you love, one you know will make you feel happy, and then conclude your day. Thank you, God bless you, have a good one.